Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Well, we've been doing a series called Who Are You? And we've been talking about different aspects of how we locate our identity and what we do. How many of you this week Googled and looked at a McLaren? One person, all right. Way to go, Tony. Oh, two. Did anybody Google the most expensive uh, cars in the world? You did too, all right. Hopefully you came up with the same answer I did. I did three different sites, and the criteria was I had to make, I think, 50 cars a year. So some of these companies that make like two or three a year didn't qualify. But the most expensive car uh, seemed to be the consensus was a uh, Lamborghini, and it was $3.6 million. So uh, <laughs> you had a little different one? Yeah, there are there several, but, you know, the, the three sites that I looked at seemed to agree the Lamborghini was one of the most expensive cars out there. So anyhow, I know you're all lining up to, to get those. And remember, one of the things that we talked about in the series is that the, uh, the buyer sets the price. So whether you agree or not, if that car is worth $3.6 million, uh, that's up to you. But there are people out there that do agree that that vehicle is worth that. If it wasn't, they couldn't sell it for that. They'd have to lower the price. So that brings us to a, a place where we can look at what God has declared our value at. And we can either agree or disagree with him. If we agree with him, then we start growing and <clears throat> we start seeing what he has done in Christ for us. And we can start accepting that. If we disagree and we say we're not, we're not worthy, then we kind of find ourselves in a, in a place of uh, pride. We're looking at ourself and we're saying, I judge myself at this point. And God says, no, I judge you up here. So if you're having difficulty with... You know, God said that um, it was the precious blood of Christ that no, no value could be set on this earth. No gold, no silver, no liquid diamonds, no natural thing could set the price. But the blood of, 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 a, of God, the life of God set the price. And so I encourage you to agree with him that you're worth that. He paid that price for you. We saw some people last week that disagreed and argued with God. First of all, I'll give you a clue. If you argue with God, you're wrong, and you're going to lose. <laughs> may take you a while to come to that realization, but you're going to come to it sooner or later. Uh, the first person that we saw was Peter, and we saw that he went on the rooftop, and he was hungry, and he had a dream, and down came a sheet or a blanket or a container with all kinds of uh, what Jewish people would consider unclean food. So uh, any fish that don't have scales, so crab, lobster, those type of foods. Uh, pork, bacon, bacon, anybody? Bacon? Bacon would have been included in that list, you know. So uh, Peter was rejoicing, all right, bacon. <laughs> 
So anyhow, Peter looked at that and said, no, Lord, that's unclean and common. And the, the word came back to Peter is, don't call what I said that is uh, special. Don't call it unclean or common. Don't call it um, ordinary or vile or impure. And, of course, Peter took him three times to go through that scenario where he saw the, those animals. And, and as a Jewish uh, person, it took him a little while to say, okay, you know. Not only was God saying these are okay to eat now, but he was also saying that I want you to take my gospel to the Gentiles. And the good news is Peter got it right. Right after he woke up from this dream, there were some visitors at the gate, and they were looking for him, and they took him to, I believe it was Cornelius' house, where he preached the gospel, and they, they uh, were saved. And he said that what God has declared as clean, let no one declare as unclean. So he got it right. <clears throat> and then we looked at uh, Judges. We looked at uh, Gideon. And Gideon uh, argued with God a little bit also. I, I think, and I mentioned this last week, that Gideon liked the idea of what God wanted to do. He just wasn't sure that God had the right person. You know, like, hey, God, are you sure? Maybe it's that other guy over there. I mean, Gideon is hiding in a wine press trying to reap a harvest of grain by threshing it in a, con in a uh, concealed area so that the Midianites wouldn't come and take his harvest. So he wasn't, you know, being bold and, uh, you know, a great uh, man believing in God. He was just, you know, working and trying to, trying to uh, thresh through this grain. And the angel of the Lord said to him, uh, you mighty man of valor. And he didn't put himself at that value. So he argued with God, are you sure? And again, the good news is that Gideon came to the conclusion that God did have the right person and that if he allowed God to work through him, he would be able to save his people. And they, they did, and you can read that in, in Judges 6 if you'd like to do that. Our lives have been bought back. They once were lost, but no longer. We talked about humility being what God said about you. Not any more, not any less. If you add to what God says about you and think you're the, you know, more special than you really are, you've entered into pride. And again, the same thing is if you look at yourself as being less than God said, you've entered into pride. Either way, you're wrong. So line up. Believe what God said about you. It's plenty good. You don't have to believe extra. There's plenty good there. Uh, God saved us from a useless and worthless life. We talked about that last week. Um, and then something that uh, Keith Moore said that God told him was the more valuable your time becomes to God, he will help you redeem it. And Keith talked about, you know, in his, seeing his ministry grow, they, you know, believed God for tape duplication and now CD duplication and everything that was needed for that and, and intercontinental airplane. If you're not familiar with Keith Moore's ministry, he's a teacher to pastors and he likes to travel uh, to places where maybe they don't have the uh, accessibility of great teaching. So he'll go to, to countries and uh, do seminars and preach it. And 
he didn't need an airplane or a lot of computers and tape duplication equipment to sit at home and watch football or drink lemonade, you know. And a lot of us are believing God to do things uh, in our lives and do great things, but until we start doing things that are valuable to God, that's when God will kick in and, and help us accomplish more with our day. Uh, get the word out on every frontier. I think that's the call for the church in general. There's a lot of people that haven't gotten the, the right word. They've heard of God. They've heard of religion, but they haven't gotten the word that he loves them just as they are. And he paid a price, and they're valuable. If you're, and then we talked about if your identity is based on anything you can lose, it's wrong. And it should be a house that's built on a rock. Our identity should be built on what Christ did and what he's done for us. He is your life and your future. Dig in, to deep, to deep, dig in deep to pour a foundation. I was at Ramah when they were building the Ramah Church. And uh, soil experts, whoever does that, you know, testing and so forth, they decided that they were going to run these columns down. I think it was like 30 or 40 feet. And they're like 12, uh, uh, 12, was it 12 feet in diameter, 8 feet in diameter. Anyhow, huge concrete. And they were pouring concrete for probably a good, it seems like forever, you know, three or four months before any building started, even any wall started going up, anything was happening. And all that money and all that time and all that effort was put into making sure that that building wouldn't move, it wouldn't shift. It was spent putting into a good foundation. We need to do the same thing in our lives as we need to identify with Christ and, and that foundation and not on our achievements, whether they've been good or bad, uh, not on our abilities, not on our intellect. Our natural things can change. In Christ you were, you are, and you will be. It doesn't change. In eternity, God's going to value you just as much as he does today, as he did when you first accepted him, as he did before you accepted him. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God valued us so much that he died for us. And we just finally, at some point in our life, came and agreed with him. So that kind of brings us up to speed. <clears throat> it's not in my deeds, good or bad. So we're going to look at Acts 4 and verse 30. We'll start in verse 32, I believe. And we're going to read through chapter 5, 11, and then we'll come back and, and break it down. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but that all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not one needy of needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the pro proceeds of the sales and lay them down at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need and Joseph a Levite who was also called Barnabas 
by the apostles, which translation means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the pieces for himself. And, and with his wife, full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard, heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed, breathed his last. And great fear was upon all who heard it. And the young men arose and covered him up and carried him out and buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you have sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that, is, that, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they shall carry you out as well. And immediately, she, and, and she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So let's go back up to verse 32 in chapter 4. So some of you may have heard someone who is uh, promoting socialism or communism say, well, it's in the Bible. Well, no, it's not. The difference is that in this aspect, they are freely giving of what they have. And they're freely deciding whether they want to sell the property or not. And then they, <clears throat> they're given the option and exercising that option of what to do with that money. The other one, socialism, communism, takes what you have and distributes it. The problem being that greed enters in. And that's has always been from the beginning. Uh, pride and greed and lust of things. And it gets corrupted. So don't don't go for that. If somebody's trying to tell you that, it's it's not the same. This was a, a period of time when the believers were all living in Jerusalem. And history tells us that Jerusalem was one of the, the poorest churches. And that is a lot of that is because when they became believers, they were kicked out of the synagogue. The synagogue was not just the religious place of worship, but it also had t entailing with um, buying and selling and commercial. And if you were blackballed, um, people that were in good standing with with the synagogue weren't supposed to do business with you. So now you're living in Jerusalem and you can't do your normal business because the Jewish people have stopped buying or sell, uh, buying from you. And, and uh, so 
the church in Jerusalem was hurting and Paul took up offering for them. Uh, we see that later on in his epistles. <clears throat> but here they still have, some of them still have land and have buildings and property. And they're making the decision that uh, they're going to sell and, and help their fellow brothers out. Uh, the apostles were, were, um, were going out and preaching and witnessing to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundance grace was upon all of them. So we see that in verse 36, a man named Joseph had sold his property and given it to the, the apostles. And I imagine that got, you know, people were talking about it in, in church and making mention of it and, you know, even thanking him for the, for the blessing. And, and um, so Ananias and Sapphira got this idea in their head that they wanted to, you know, uh, please men also. They decided that they were going to sell this property but not give all of it. They didn't have to give all of it. They could have given any portion of it. Peter says that. Um, he said in verse 3, Why have you in your heart uh, decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the, of the price? While it remained unsold, wasn't it yours? In other words, it was yours to do with what you wanted to. Nobody was forcing you. Nobody was asking you to, to sell this. This was your own decision. And after it was sold, the money was still in your control. All of it was yours. You could do with, with it what you wanted to. Why is it that you have conceived in your, this deed in your heart? The deed was to lie to the church, to bring the money and say, this is everything you know, that we got from this piece of property, and here we want to we bless you. Ananias and Sapphira were more interested in what people would say about them than what God thought about them. And that is something that we need to, to look at when we look at our identity. Are we interested in what people will say about us? Do we put too much value on that? All of us are human. We all want to be liked. Um, most of us do, anyhow. I do. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but at what cost? At what cost? Um, they wanted to be the, the talk of the church, and I imagine after they carried them both out and buried them, they were the talk of the church. <laughs> probably for quite a while, and probably for the word went out to the other groups, you know, and, and churches. They, they were the talk of the town, so to speak, but not in the way they wanted to. They valued what what man would think, and they thought they could play a game and and uh, get away with that. And they had the love of money. In other words, they looked at that money, and they could have given all of it if they wanted to. They could have given part of it if they wanted to. Um, but they they loved the loved money, and they loved the idea of, of people thinking how great they were. Who are you? What are your deeds? Do you want to be known for your deeds? 
your deeds worth knowing. Maybe there are some good deeds. We're not against that. But it shouldn't be what we put our identity on. They were more concerned about what man thought than what God thought about their actions. And we see this in the modern day church. People doing things to be seen of others and not doing it with a heart for God. Looking for a sense of value in the eyes of others. Looking for importance. Looking to be recognized. Looking to be somebody. I did this. I accomplished that. It reveals insecurity, fear, and self-doubt. It reveals that you don't know who you are in Christ. Because if you knew who you were in Christ, you could give it all, and if nobody knew about it, you wouldn't care. You could give some of it, and if nobody knew, you wouldn't care. Why are you doing the things that you do? You know, I appreciate uh, a lot of people have come to me and, and said something that I spoke about, blessed them or ministered to them, and I appreciate that. I, I really do. It's encouraging. It lets me know that, that God is, is reaching out and touching you through me. But on the other hand, that's not my goal is to please you. Don't take that wrong. <laughs> I'm not intentionally trying to upset everybody or offend everybody. But we've seen too much of that in the church. Um, surveys taken and pastors and whole denominations following what people want to hear and not what God wants to teach, not what God wants to, to say. Putting the value of what others think of a, a higher than what God thinks. When I get done with the series, I, I hope that it's what God wanted me, and it's been my effort to present what, God, what I believe God wanted me to teach and what God wanted me to bring forth. The fact that you like it is wonderful, great. Um, but I'm not going to change it if you don't. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm in error, yeah, I'll correct something. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when we go to do a job, whether it's preaching, teaching, uh, working with others, our goal should be to please God and to do a good job and not to, uh, to please or evaluate ourselves higher. Let's look at John 7.18. Keith was uh, teaching, Keith Moore was teaching at a conference, and as he was leaving, and I, he said he was in a hurry to get somewhere, a man caught him and yelled down the hall, said, I don't like you, and I don't like what you teach. And the only thing Keith could think of was, well, you don't know me. If you knew me, you'd like me, and you'd like what I teach. You know? So... <laughs> He was my uh, lab instructor at Rama, and we had a we had to do two sermons during our, our our class session, and so the first one had to be a pretty traditional, um, had to have an opening, three points, transitional sentences, conclusion, and you had twelve minutes to do it. And you better not go eleven, and you better not go thirteen. With Keith, you went twelve minutes, um, and he gave the example that you may be teaching on the radio. And you've got, you can't go over. Mark's not here. 
<laughs> you, on the radio, you can't go over, right? They're going to cut your airtime. And the, uh, the radio station doesn't want dead air either, so you don't finish early. You, you do uh, a 12-minute. So I gave the sermon, and, and one of the things when um, you were not speaking, other people were giving a sermon, is everybody took notes. And there were usually four people that went per class session. So you took notes on those four people, and he turned them in. And then Keith would look them over, and then when he sat down with the, with the person doing the teaching, he would go through, I think, three or four of these, you know, cl- uh, uh, critiques, so to speak. And, you know, and then he would tell you what, what he thought of how you did. And on one of mine, um, the person didn't like something in my sermon. My sermon was called, Are You Snow White? Um, you know, Disney stole a lot of things from, <laughs> from God. I think he could sue him for copyright. Uh, live happily ever after. Yeah, I wonder where that came from, huh? Have you read the back of the book? Yeah, we live happily ever after. So anyhow, someone was offended by something I said in the sermon, and he looked at it, and he he said, you know, I didn't see that in your sermon. He said, maybe they came under conviction. Maybe it's a sore spot with them. Maybe God's dealing with them on that subject. Just disregard and, and go on. And I think that's sometimes uh, how we have to look at it. We have to do the best that we can to what God's called us to do and hope that it's a blessing to the body of Christ. And if there are those that uh, don't appreciate it, believe God that... Um, He'll help them to, to see uh, and, and get over that. Let's look at John seven eighteen, And this is, uh, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And we've seen that Jesus said that he only said what he heard the Father say, and he only did what he saw the Father do. He didn't need to impress other people. He didn't need to, uh, to do things to prove himself. In fact, the, uh, the Jews, the followers, there were a lot of uh, followers of Christ that thought this is, you know, he's going to start his kingdom He's going to uh, overthrow the Romans. And so they were encouraging him, you know, to do these different things and to show his power and, you know, make uh, weapons or something. I don't know, but, you know, they, they wanted more out of him. And he wasn't, he, he wasn't seeking to impress them. Uh, God uses me all the time, is what he said. I have this, I know that person. You know, Jesus said that he knew the people that were around him, and he knew what they wanted. He knew what were in their hearts, and some of them were wanting him to um, put himself in power for their gain. Um, they wanted to be on his right and his left hand. They wanted to be co-rulers with him. They wanted to be appointed to a position of power. So they wanted uh, Jesus to, uh, to raise himself up, and he said, I don't have to do that. I know who I am. And as your identity in Christ uh, as becomes more solidified and you know who you are in Christ, you won't seek to impress others 
either. I wrote on my wife, uh, I'm sorry, I care what God thinks. We can be fine without the approval of men if we have the approval of God and my wife. <laughs> That's for, for me personally. You don't have to get the approval of my wife. I mean, really, in, in life, who do we need to please? We need to please God. That's, that's who we need to look to. Let's look at John 2. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man for himself, I'm sorry, for he himself knew what was in man. He didn't need anybody to to tell him what was in man's heart. He knew what was in man's heart. And he wasn't entrusting himself to them. He wasn't putting himself in a position where he needed to please them. He needed to uh, do what they wanted. He was out to, to please God. His confession was, I like pleasing God. I need God. I need him. I want his help. I want his grace. I want his mercy. I care what God thinks more than what people think of me. Once the value is set, you can agree and receive it, or you can reject it. So we've looked at the series a lot of what our identity shouldn't be in and what we shouldn't uh, put our stake in, things that change, being a man-pleaser, arguing with God. So what should we take time and what should we build? What will we take with us? You know, I, I used to do a prison ministry, and a lot of the guys that came to my uh, Bible study, they they owned it. They realized that they had goofed up, made a mistake, and a lot of them, you know, were repentive. But they were they were feeling like life was passing them on, and they were stuck here in in this jail. and And I used to use the the example of a NASCAR race. Life is a race. And you were out on the track driving and running around with all the other people. And something happened and you had a problem. And you had to pull into the pits. And they'll agree with you, jail is the pits. So you had to pull in and do a pit stop. While you're here, don't waste the time. Fix your car. Fix your vehicle. Get what, you, what was wrong, get it taken care of. Spend time building your character. Then get, when you have a chance, get back out on the race and run, and run that race. A lot of them were concerned about their family members that were living life without them, and they were just watching it go by. So I encouraged them, if they couldn't read, learn to read. If they didn't have a GED, start there. Start doing things that would improve their life. Start studying the Bible and reading it. First Peter 3.24, let's go over there. First Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. The hidden person of the heart is your spirit and your soul. That's what you're going to take with you when you leave this body. You're going to take your memories. You're going to take your who you are. The Bible says that we will know people. If we knew them in this life, we will know who they are. So we should spend our time improving our character. The last thing I want to do is when I get to heaven, have some big angel say kindergarten is that way. <laughs> I want to get, <laughs> I want to spend this time getting further than that. So we see that the heart of man is a spirit and soul in combination. Our spirit are incorruptible they've been, if they're born again, but our soul needs to be renewed. Emphasis should always be on our godly attributes. Then we can be attractive at any age. Spend time building character. Character is qualities in a person that makes them different from others. How about keeping your word? Starting there. When you give your word, you're going to do something. Maybe when you give your word, everything looks rosy. But as the time comes closer to fulfilling that obligation, things have changed. And now maybe you don't feel like doing it. Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe, you know, it is going to be a difficulty. But keep your word. Work on, on that. How about being on time? Andrew Womack talks about uh, one of the building projects. He had a, an appointment set with a contractor, and the contractor was 10, 15 minutes late. When the contractor did come into his office, Andrew said, I see you've got a cell phone. He goes, yeah. And he, he goes, you could have called and told me that you were running late. That would have been acceptable. I think most people would be, un would be understanding, hey, something came up, traffic, whatever. You know, I'm running late, I'll be there. Is that okay, or do we need to reschedule? Anyhow, this contractor said, well, I didn't think it was that big a deal. Andrew said, see ya. If you treat me like that now, what are you going to treat me after you've got my money? You know, you're wanting my money now, and you're treating me that way. Keep your word, even if you don't feel like it. Be on time. Be faithful. Can people count on you? These are all godly characteristics. Be accountable. Live out your principles and your values. And be humble. Being humble is the beginning of wisdom. You don't have to tell people how great you are. If you're really that great, they'll figure it out on their own. They're intelligent. Spend time getting to know the Spirit of God. You know, one, uh, one thing that Jim Hockaday talked about on a tape series that I've been listening to is that the Holy Spirit is a helper. When I <clears throat> first started house construction working for Debbie's father, he had a journeyman, his name was Arnie, and he smoked a pipe. I could always tell where Arnie was, what room, what part of the house. I could smell the pipe. And uh, I'm sure over time he had trained quite a few helpers, and he wasn't really excited about training me, another one, you know, didn't know which end of the pliers to hold. Uh, but in, anyhow, <laughs> 
we, we uh, you know, I was his helper. And there was times that we would go into a house and, you know, he'd look at the plans, if there were any, if not, figure out where the furnace was going to go and then start, uh, you know, figuring out where all the ductwork was going to go. And it seemed like it, 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 it was a lot of opportunities um, that a plumber had put plumbing right, right in the way. It was always a crazy plumber. If anybody's a plumber in here, I apologize, but it was always a crazy plumber, you know. Um, Ductwork is hard to move around plumbing. It's much larger. So sometimes it required me to go back to the shop and get something that we hadn't expected and hadn't brought with us. I was his helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And a lot of us are waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something and we'll help him. But when we make up our mind that we're going to do something and ask him to help, he'll bring things to us. When I started studying for this, uh, this teaching, I only had a, a thought. And as I sat down and I studied, an example would come. And then a, a scripture would come. And then this would come. And the Holy Spirit was bringing me things to show me things that would be useful. To, and it would help you and help me bring this, this point across. He's our helper. And if we'll spend time with him, he wants to help us in more areas of life. Not just teaching from the pulpit, but in every area. Helping you find where the second uh, garage door opener remote went to. Which he did. Praise God, I found it. <laughs> it's right where I left it. Uh, and you know how I found it? I went to put the first remote control in the same place. And there was... <laughs> Must have been a good place. I picked it <laughs> twice. <laughs> you know, he, want, he wants, I think, to, for me anyhow, this is the, the last time I'll be speaking to you in this year. That was the message of this year that God was impressing in my heart that he wants to build a relationship with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to spend time with him. We've heard it from different people. Um, slow down declutter your life, don't be as busy, spend time with him. We're the weak link. When I was uh, building my hot rod, uh, I blew the transmission out, so I put a beefier transmission in it, and then I put, put uh, different heads and a camshaft and headers and different carburetor on the, on the engine. It made it uh, more powerful, so you know it broke next. I blew out the, the differential or the rear end. Um, and then after I put a bigger one of those in, I twisted the drive shaft. It was, it was the weakest link I always gave. You know, and, and we're the ones, you know, God's ready to do great things. The Holy Spirit's here to help us. But we're the ones that question whether this is what we should do or what we should say. Give yourself a test. If, uh, if God empowered your words... 100% would, uh, would Q2 be reporting that there was a, a car that was uh, tailgating a pastor and brimstone and fire came down from heaven and destroyed the car? <laughs> you know, I mean, if God turned up the power in your words, what, what would your life look like? You know, you, we, need to, we need to be aware of what we're saying. Um, 
I shared with you that, you know, the word feeling really triggered something in me. I'd, I'd say something, I feel like, and God would say, you feel. And I'm like, oh, yeah. We shouldn't live by our feelings. We have feelings. We talked about that. Um, but they shouldn't be the final say, and they shouldn't be the rule in our life. So I encourage you this upcoming year to spend time getting closer to God. And let's, uh, let's get this, this third great awakening going and, and continuing. And let's see the power of God in our lives. And let's see the power of God in our community. And let's see people that wrote off religion look at it and say, you know what, there's something to it. That may not be the religion that I grew up in, may not be the church that I grew up in, but the power of God is, is not to be uh, set aside and put on a shelf. It's real. And God wants to touch every one of us. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.